everybody, and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown. Yes, I have been gone. I have not done a show for a while, you know, just taking a breather. And this, guess what, is a new season. Yeehaw! Woot, 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 woot. <laughs> yippee-yay-yay. And I'm really thrilled to be back because I really do miss doing these shows because they make me feel better when I'm done. And I love our guest for the new season. He is someone you guys love, too. And he's been on this show. We keep counting. <laughs> John DeLeo, my pal. How many times now? We keep counting. Someday we're going to really have to, you know, get it done. Yeah, you're, you'll have to go back into the archives and count counts. <laughs> but it's got to be a dozen. Easily. I think we said we said a dozen like three or four ago. So who knows? Yeah. 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 But whatever. I love having right. you on. And I thank you so much for being my first guest. And oh, I'm boy. really so happy to have you. Um, sure. My pleasure. How did your book tour go? Just to ask. Oh, it was, it was, I call it a mini book tour, but there were, um, you know, it's still with COVID still, there's so many places that don't want to do live events right. yet because they don't want, I don't blame, they don't want to have to cancel them. Uh, uh, but I lucked out because I had an, a, a private event in New York at the Players Club, which cool. was wonderful, in April. And I had a book signing in my hometown of Smithtown on Long Island at the Barnes & Noble at the Smith Haven Mall, which How was cool. wonderful. Because I used to be able to walk to that mall, and there I am. Well, signing you know, your book. So many, many decades later, <laughs> uh, I left really in 1982. So uh, it, uh, I have family in the area, so I was able to get you know family and friends to come. That was really fun, and then of course uh, Hollywood, uh, Larry Edmonds Bookshop, a book signing that was great. We sold all the books, and uh, again I I rallied the troops, friends, uh, not family in that case, but lots of friends from all times in my life, and that was a wonderful trip. I hadn't been out. In 20 years, so uh, it was time I was back, and I, I loved it. And then I was part of the Authors' Night at the East the East Hampton Libraries uh, big fundraiser uh, in August, and that was a really wonderful event too. I had so much fun. So yeah, those were those were the big ones, and uh, they were all wonderful, and they were all different from each other. And I've got a, stuff coming up. Um, if anyone's in the Nyack area, I should promote this on um friday october 7th i'm doing a, a film tribute to helen hayes cool. um at uh, the nyack center look look up uh, helen hayes nyack uh, river uh gosh um it's a it's a it should be a great night it's film clips and discussion just about her film career because you know she lived in nyack for many years so i'm looking forward to that um i'm posting about it on my social media yes. especially as it comes up so that's a good thing and then and where i live in milford pennsylvania i've got the readers and writers festival in september and the black bear film festival in october i'll be doing my film clip show for the new book there are no small parts 100 outstanding film performances with screen time of 10 minutes or less 
And I'll be introducing the filmmaker, Ron McCluskey, uh, after we screen his film, Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster, as our opening night event, which is a documentary I've already seen and loved, and it's uh, really worthwhile. So I'm excited that we're showing that on the big screen. Why don't you? So that's... That's wonderful. I think it's fabulous. It's very exciting, and you deserve it, because honestly, (laughs) I am not, you know... I love John, and I, I got to tell you, I wouldn't have him on as often if I didn't think he was great, and his books are great. His knowledge is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, check out his books. I'm not shilling for John. John's not handing me 50 bucks under the table. You know what I mean? I really <laughs> love John's books, and you will too. So check all of them out, not just the, you know, the his most recent. Of course, it's fabulous, but they all are. Really? Thank you. You are very welcome. So why don't you tell everybody what we are talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about 1947 because uh, it's 75 years ago. So looking back at the 75th anniversary of that year, what were some of our favorites, some of the things we want to talk about as the standouts of 1947, which uh, was a pretty good year. I mean, a lot of those years were pretty good years. Really good Nin- years 1946 yeah. has a great reputation, but 1947 is pretty darn good. So, yeah, you can pick um, out great movies from every yeah. year, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I think 1947 is interesting because there's a lot of really good ones that weren't very much appreciated in 1947. And I think uh, some of them sort of outshine some of the more celebrated ones of the time. Yes. And so that's, uh, I mean, there's, again, there's always movies like that in every year as well, but it does seem to be there's a lot of them in 1947. So that's, that's what we're going to do. Yes. So why don't you, John, because you are the lovely guest, um, <laughs> why, why don't you give us your first choice? Well, along those lines of what I just said, I, I think I'll start with uh, Out of the Past. Uh, directed by Jacques Tourneur, which is, it's a quintessential example of film noir. It may be the film noir of them all in in so many aspects, because it seems like everything we associate with that genre is in this one. And uh, it was not that uh, much appreciated at its time. It certainly got no Oscar love. Um, And there's so much to love about it. Uh, Robert Mitchum really comes into his own mm-hmm. in this one. I mean, he's already done G.I. Joe and been nominated for an Oscar, and he's great in that. But this is sort sort of him uh, sort of staking claim on his persona for the rest of his life as a tough guy with soul, as a tough guy with smarts, and uh, it's a. Uh, it's a great performance because, like I said, he's got all the Mitchum cool, but he's got depth and he feels and he falls in love. And it's all that great that's in noir. It's all that stuff that uh, sort of is the undoing of, of the main character, the vulnerabilities that, that get him into trouble. And it's got, uh, as it's femme fatale, it's got Jane Greer. And when you see Out of the Past, if you've never seen Jane Greer before, your first thought at the end of the movie will be, why didn't this woman become a major star? Uh, She's beautiful. She's clearly talented. She makes such an impression, such a presence. 
and I guess it can be attributed to the fact that the movie was not a runaway smash hit. Uh, it wasn't to have and have not like it was for, you know, for Lauren Bacall a few years earlier. Right. And so you don't get too many chances. And she, of course, worked, but uh, she never had an opportunity quite as good as this one. And she's one of the great uh, bad girls of film noir based on this performance alone. Plus, you've got uh, Kirk Douglas and you've got Dickie Moore. And it's um, like I said, it has a real undertow of emotion and sadness running through the basic noir stuff of uh, of the private eye and the bad guys and the, the dark alleys and all this stuff we want. But there's so much underneath it as well that I think has made it resonate through the decades and find the love it didn't quite get in 1947. Which happens to a lot of films that are revered today. And, um, you know, also they have the good girl, you know, who loves Robert Mitchum. And in his own way, he loves her, but she's no femme fatale. She's nice. She's reliable. She'd be the perfect wife. And so you've got that, too, that he has to make that choice, sort of like... And um, what was it called? Angel Face with, you know, yeah, he had. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. it, it was wonderful. I enjoyed this film so much. I love, love, love Robert Mitchum. He's one yeah. to me, Hollywood honks, and he is Mr. Wonderful Film Noir. He also did great interviews. And I just love this film. Kirk was great. He wasn't over the top. He was under, He was very good. And she was, you know. Hubba hubba, you know, dynamite bad lady. Yes. And of course, Kirk Douglas is, it's before champion. So he hasn't been defined yet as like what kind of movie star he's going to be. So he's kind of got the Dan Durier role, right? you know, the kind of like, you're not, it's not a star part, that kind of, uh, sniveling (laughs) kind of, you know, he's bad and he's (laughs) weak. He's weak, you know, so he doesn't get to emerge as star material yet, you know, but he, you know, he does, because before that, he does um, Strange Love of Martha Ivers, uh, yeah. right? And then yeah. there's one more, did he do? Or I can't remember. Oh, he's in the, Letter to Three Wives Later, where he's not Yeah, and that shows hero. also another kind of interesting aspect of him, where he's playing the sort of intellectual. Right. Which he didn't really do that much. He was much more physical right. than, you know, about, about brain power. Right. And it's interesting. He's so good at playing a, 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 a teacher, a smart guy, Um and yeah, so it shows when people aren't quite sure what's going to sort of take off for them. And that's part of out of the past is in that period for Kirk. Right. Anyway. And, you know, who know who to thunk that yeah. he didn't stick to these kind of, you know, yeah. different varying roles. Because after that, he pretty much had, you know, Mr. Hero, Mr. You know. Sure. Big dude. So, but sure. I did enjoy Out of the Past very, very much. And um, it's funny because when they did the remake, what's it called? What was oh, yeah. it called? Against, against All Odds. Jane in was the 80s. in it. And yeah, Jane is in so it. So was Richard Widmark. Was he in that film? I don't I remember Jane because it was a thing that she was going to be back and that Jeff Bridges was starring in it. And he made his film debut as a baby in a Jane Greer movie. So. Did he really? <laughs> yes. So uh, it all uh, it all full came circle. full circle. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. she was really 
you know, I love Jane. And she, I saw her do parts before this one. I love that she was married to Rudy Valley. I know you never would think, um, you wouldn't have uh, set them up on a blind date. (laughs) That's not going to work. Well, she was just a young lady. You know, she was just very, he liked them young chicks. And, um, and I'm sure he wasn't like he was in the Palm Beach story no, in real life. No, you know? no, so, no. Anyway. Yeah, she yeah. left him. If you yeah. read Eddie Muller's book, which is wonderful about noir dames, um, Jane, you know, after they got married, he had like a dungeon and he was into S&M and he wanted to do oh all this gosh. stuff to her. Tidbit, tidbit, Tinseltown. Yes, this well, is well, the truth. Well, well. And she's like, I'm not into this. I'm a young girl, you know, whatever. I'm out of here. Wow. So that was the end of that. So that's a little tidbit from Jane Greer's life. <laughs> and that Rudy Valley, our crooner, Rudy Valley. Okay, so my first choice is also a noir. And I just um, saw this again uh, recently. It was on TCM. And it is Nightmare Alley. And I really like this film. I thought Tyrone Power was fabulous. Um, I thought Joan Blondell was wonderful in this film. And it just has all this creepy, slimy stuff because it starts at a carnival. And, you know, they have, what is it, the freak or the geek or the meek? The geek, <laughs> the yeah, the geek. geek. Yeah. He starts the film and, you know, whatever. Tyrone is sort of a ne'er-do-well and he gets a gig at the carnival, he meets Joan Blondell. Joan Blondell's husband used to be really great, but then he got yeah. into the sauce. They did it a really good act together, but he got into the sauce and, you know, forget it. He wasn't a good partner for her, and she partnered up with Tyrone. And then there was a good girl, Colleen Gray, uh-huh. and um, he becomes, Joan Blondell teaches him her tricks of the trade on how to tell fortunes or read minds, you know, it's all, it's all lies. You know, he's not really this person. And, but he becomes very famous and rich people start liking him. He meets this psychiatrist who is really not a good lady. And it, it shows him rising to the top where he could get anywhere, have his own temple, do all this stuff. And then boom, down to the ground once again, and even worse than he was when he began. And the ride is very interesting. And like I said, I really like Tyrone in this because he doesn't generally play this kind of part, although he was very sleazy later on in Witness for the Prosecution. <laughs> Ugh. Eee, wormy creep, wormy creep. Yeah. So, and he, I think he overacted to the top top of the hill in that movie. Anyway, Tyrone was really good, and um, all the characters were very good. And Colleen Gray, the good girl, she she was honest and good, and he married her. But he had been having an affair with Joan Blondell. He got all the stuff, and then, boom, she finds out about Colleen Gray, and that's the end of that. But it's a very good film, I think, and I enjoyed it, and you know, I applauded Tyrone for that part. I agree. I think, in fact, I would go as far as to say is that if I were uh, an Academy member back then, I would have voted to nominate Tyrone Power for this performance. And if he'd been on the ballot, I would have voted for him as the male performance of the year. I think it's uh, he is sensational in it. And, you know, he was still beautiful in 1947. But to take... 
to take all his beauty and charm that audiences have loved for about a decade and use it for evil (laughs) was uh, kind of a risk. And he does it so beautifully, so naturally. um, You don't feel like he's overdoing it to sort of uh, play against type and look at me. It's it's so um, beautifully modulated from the beginning, step by step. And he's really terrific. Um, and as you said, uh, there, Joan Blondell is outstanding in this, uh, but so is Helen Walker as the evil psychiatrist. Oh, I, was, I didn't remember her name. She was really yeah. evil. Boy. <laughs> and what's so, there's a couple of things that are really interesting about this. First of all, the scene when he's, when he's in what he calls the spook racket, but in the second half of getting rich people to give him money because he converse, he can converse with their dead relatives. Right. When he takes old man uh, Taylor Holmes out on the in his backyard, that is a and Colleen Gray yes. pretends to be his lost love. That is one of my favorite scenes in the history of movies. It's a it wonderful so scene. Chilling and yes. so beautiful. Um, and you know, it's ironic. The director's Edmund Goulding, uh, Goulding and power had just made the razor's edge, which was a big hit best picture nominee. Then they do nightmare alley, which is not a big, it's a flop. What did I say? Not a big hit. It's a flop. Uh, yet as time passes, of course, nightmare alley is their masterpiece and razor's edge has some good stuff in it, but it's nowhere near the no, movie no, that uh, no. nightmare alley is. This is great. And it is his best performance. And like yeah. you said, it is not over the top. He goes like from low and then medium and then to, to the top where, and then he goes mm. lower than he's ever been really low. Yeah. And then he goes the epitome of low and it's right. all believable from his, you know, his start to his rise to his demise is amazing. And, you know, the, of course, there was the remake uh, last year, oh, which, yeah. you know, they're, they're much, you know, more able to do anything they want, where, of course, in 1947, you were limited in how explicit you could be about just about anything. Um, and yet, in my opinion, the new one, doesn't come anywhere near no, the old movie in terms of impact mm-hmm. or uh, atmosphere. I mean, it was very, uh, actually, I'd say overproduced, but and it certainly had a look, but it didn't compete in terms of eeriness or, like I said, kind of uh, moodiness. It didn't, it didn't take me to another world the way the old one does. And you've got, you had a whole cast of wonderful people, but nobody really came off particularly well, I thought. You know, you've got Tony Collette, who's a good actress in the Blondell role, and when the movie was over, I didn't even remember that she was in it. Wow. Whereas Blondell <laughs> kind of haunts me. She the same does. thing with Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett seemed to be spoofing 40s dames, yeah. and Helen Walker uh, will give you nightmares. Um, so oh, so right, right down the line, I didn't think it came anywhere near close and to Bradley the 47 version. Ain't no time on power. Yeah, he was fine. It just not. It didn't. I don't know. He just didn't. It didn't come across for me. Yeah, so. me either. Sometimes you just have to leave these wonderful films alone. Yeah. You know, you really yeah. do because very rarely does the sequel, uh, the remake, uh, even yeah. equal the original. So, but yeah. this movie, I highly recommend for everyone to see. It is really. 
really one of a kind, really kind of, I can't, you know, because there's other wonderful noirs in 47, like um, Crossfire and all these other ones. And, but this one really resonated with me and I loved the performances and I loved the whole atmosphere. I loved the direction. I loved you know, the art, the light, everything was perfect. I just love this movie. And I'm with you. I would have nominated him and I would have voted for him as best actor. He was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I did include him in my book from, I can't believe I'm going to say this, from 20 years ago. Uh, my book, uh, 100 Great Film Performances, You Should Remember But Probably Don't. It was a long time. I'd I, love to do and, that one. And that was one of uh, Tyrone Power and Nightmare Alley was one of them. And I'm, I guess I'm happy to say in the, in these 20 years, more people know about that film. I'm not saying because I wrote about it, but I hope I did a little to contribute to getting people to seek it out. So yeah, because nobody, you know, I saw it on TCM. I would have never known about it. And I know the first time I watched it, I wasn't as, you know, invested in it. I was sort of like doing other things at the same time. So I wasn't, but I do remember Joan uh, Blundell being amazing. But This time, I was totally 100% concentrated on it, and I loved it. And I, you know, I can't rave about it enough. To me, it's just, and I love Tyrone Power, period, but he is just amazing in this film. All of them are, but he especially. Mm -hmm. Okay, John, numero dos. Well, another um, one that kind of uh, nobody seems to really notice in 1947 is Ivy, starring Joan Fontaine. Um, and this one I write about in my book, Screensavers 2. I write a long piece about it because I love it so much. And, um, you know, it's a classic Hollywood example of casting against type. So you've got Joan Fontaine in the lead. Everyone knows her from Rebecca, Suspicion, The Constant Nymph, Jane Eyre. Even Usually, in the women. Even in the women, yeah, I think. You know, one of her soft, vulnerable, often what someone might call a victim. Right. Um, so here she is playing all out evil. But what's so fascinating about it is she's plays it as it's written, uh, like all those other Joan Fontaine roles in the sense that everyone in the movie thinks she's that sweet, demure, wonderful Joan Fontaine that we all knew from Rebecca's suspicion, etc., and she is merciless uh, privately, such a narcissist, and she, in, including resorting to murder, and uh, she's really terrific in the movie. Uh, she never over, overdoes it. Like nope. I said, we can see her evil in her private moments. We know we can see the wheels spinning, what she's up to, the next scheme. But she's really good at convincing everyone else that she's not like that. And we believe that they would believe she's uh, she's nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah. the other aspect of the film that is spectacular is its um, production design. It's a stunning-looking movie. It uh, often looks expressionistic with odd angles and uh, all kinds of different textures and fabrics and things. It's it, it's so opulent visually. It's it's almost operatic, and it's it's kind of a stunning experience. I've never seen it on a big screen. It must be breathtaking. I so know. between this dramatic element of uh, her against type and delivering, uh, you know, one of the best performances of her life, 
against this background of such beauty and opulence, it's really a stunner. Richard Nay. Nay? Nay? How do you say his name? Nay. Yeah, brilliant. Richard Nay. He plays her husband, who is... Didn't he used to be rich, and she spent all the money? Yes, that's it. Yes. She, they spent all his, uh, whatever, his inheritance is gone. And I think but they were she, living in a They're still in high society. Room. Right. But they're in high society, because that's where they started, but they don't really have the money to stay there, so she's got to start plotting And she money. also has, uh, she had um, an affair, and she had her guy, um, yeah. Patrick Knowles. How do you say his last yeah. name? Yeah. Patrick Knowles, yes. And yes. he was in it, and she just does... I mean, she she does her husband dirty, and then man, oh man, she does Patrick really dirty too, because she wants to get Frederick Marshall. No, yes. is that his name? Frederick? Yeah, Herbert Marshall. Yeah, no, Herbert, Herbert Marshall Herbert, is the goal. Wrong. Yeah, Herbert Marshall, yeah. the Dreamboat. He uh, who is a wonderful character actor. He did some leading roles, but he he really I love him as an actor. And um, he's a millionaire, and she wants him. She wants him. She wants him. She wants his money. And he is really, you know, he's into her 100%. Um, But I love the ending, too. We can't spoil it. It's just such a good movie. And I have to tell you, I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to during this podcast who will tell me how much they love Ivy off off the podcast and saying how much they love that film and how good Joan was in it. Because she was, and she was against type. She was evil, boy. There was no getting away from it. She was selfish (laughs) and evil and rotten to the core. But it was a very, it is, it's well worth watching, John. I I agree with you. Very good film. Okay, back to you. Okay, I'm going to go with Gentleman's Agreement, starring Gregory Peck, one of my favorite character actresses, um, Anne Revere. I love her. Mm-hmm. The fabulous, mm-hmm. who I adore, John Garfield. Mm-hmm. Me and the too. person I don't really like, I think you and I have talked about this before, is Dorothy McGuire in this film, and also Celeste Holm. So... Uh, this is about anti-Semitism and where they won't he, – he is trying to figure out an angle. He's a writer, and he gets hired by a magazine to do a piece about it, and he's trying to figure out the right angle. And his mother kind of helps him along, and he decides to pretend he's a Jewish guy and how people react to him. And as Gregory does, he gets very intense and, you know, right into it, you know, he goes right for it. And John Garfield is his best friend and, and when they were kids, and he's still his best friend. And he just got out of the um, war. He's still in his uniform. And he gets a fabulous job, and he's looking for a home for his family. And there's trouble ahead because of anti-Semitism. And it's terrible, you know. You know, everything about Jane Wyatt as the horrible sister of Dorothy McGuire and just the snobbishness of the whole thing and the hatred. But it's a fascinating film. The little boy, like she says, you're not, he he gets beaten up for being Jewish. And she says, you're not Jewish. You're not one of them. Don't worry. It won't happen again. You know, and that's when he gets really mad at her. And Celeste Holm doesn't care if he's Jewish or Whatever he is, you know, she just mm-hmm. is in love with him. And I, I thought she and he, I wished, fingers crossed, that they got together. But sure. it was a, I really enjoyed the film. It can, as Gregory can be in certain roles, be preachy, but it worked. 
Um, I think that uh, I love, like I said, Anne Revere, I just adore her. I never found anything she did that I didn't like. And it's funny, you know, how with her, you know, the blacklist and John Garfield, the trouble with so many people in that. And it was just... Uh, an interesting movie, and again, Dorothy McGuire, I thought was a real ew, and I don't know why well, he liked her. Well, we're, we're not, well, you know, to, to, in fairness to her, we're not—we don't really like her, the character, not at for, all. You know, and so the actress is up against that. I think the sort of the big lie of the movie is. I'm going to say at the happy ending of them getting together, they prove time and again over the two hours that they're not meant for each other. The arguments they have, it's the same one over and over. And an honest ending would be that we can't be together. And that sort of tagged on happy ending. All it makes me think is, well, 10 minutes later, they're going to have that fight and she's going to say, I never want to see you again. So it doesn't really make me feel good that they get together. And you're right. We would feel better if he ended up with Celeste home. Who was Um, warm and lovely and didn't care. Didn't have that. And it's, I mean, it's, it's good. You brought this up because this is the winner of the best picture Oscar that year. And this, when we're talking about all the movies that were being ignored, this is one of the ones that was getting all the attention and the accolades. Yes. And all the accolades for being sort of forward thinking and dealing with anti-Semitism, you know, all of the post-war issues that were coming up, um, fairly new to movies. And yet it, in so many ways, it's it does it doesn't hold up nearly as well as the ones we've talked about uh, thus no. far. And like I said, it, it's so um, it's so self congratulatory in so many ways, and it is preachy and a little smug in what it's saying. Yeah, everything it has to say uh, is correct. We're all on the right side of it, but there's uh, something about that the the writing, the smugness of it. And you think you know it's kind of obvious now, and it doesn't feel so brave as it oh, as it probably once did. No. And it's you know it's got the great. You know, Ilya Kazan is the director, but you don't really see any of his talent in this movie. All his great films are, you know, uh, to come in the in the fifties mostly, and of course, Wild River in nineteen sixty. But um, so uh, you can under- certainly understand why it won Best Picture and why everyone was so proud of Hollywood uh, dealing with this and all. But uh, I don't think time has been very good to it, even though, like I said, the cast, uh, you know, is. is very good top drawer. Yeah, but no, no, it doesn't. It it would not resonate as much at all today because I don't think anyone. No. You know, I liked it because I find it fascinating in some ways, but I don't like it as much as the other ones. I just actually chose it because I love John Garfield and I love yeah. Anne Revere, and you know, I enjoyed yeah. watching it. But it's not a movie yeah. you can keep watching and watching and watching. Well, we should. But we should talk about the best picture winner of a year we're talking about. So you, I'm glad you brought it up. Yes. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's appropriate. Yes. yes. Okay. Next one. I'm going to pick another, uh, you know, forgotten or never remembered <laughs> uh, Deep Valley. 
directed by Jean Negalesco at Warner Brothers. And this is, I, I guess I'm uh, singing the same old tune, but another amazing example of casting against type because you've got the great Ida Lupino, and this is after she's done, the, you know, They Drive By Night, The Hard Way, The Man I Love. So the audience knows her as a tough dame, mm -hmm. usually smoking, um, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, don't mess with Ida type. And here she is playing a sheltered uh, farm girl uh, in the middle of nowhere, um, a woman who seems like a child uh, living in a house with parents who are estranged from each other, but one lives on one floor, one lives on the other. So it's a bizarre setup. And of course, um, uh, it'll, everything changes for her when a runaway convict played by Dane Clark is hiding out and she befriends him. They fall in love. She tries to help him uh, not, not get caught and uh, falling in love matures her, makes her uh, um, go from girl to woman. And it's a beautiful transformation. Again, subtly achieved. Ida makes us believe she's this innocent uh, living out in the woods, uh, communing with nature and her dog and basically no one else. Right. That's her only happiness. Yeah. Falling for this man, connecting with him deeply, imagining a future and uh, coming out of her shell. And it's, it's a really beautiful transformation and in a different way, but similar to Ivy, it's a visual feast. Uh, Negalesco, this, this world he creates near the coast, near the coast in California is so rich, so vibrant. You know, it's funny, he and Negalesco and Warner Brothers and the cinematographer, everybody came together the following year to make Johnny Belinda. And that's the one that, of course, was a smash hit. And it's a gorgeous film and it's very moving and it's very atmospheric. But it's also very reminiscent of this film that uh, his team made the year before that didn't quite click with critics or audiences. But they make a fascinating double bill because you'd see the similarities and again, it's about this young woman who is very sheltered and doesn't know much about life beyond where she lives. And uh, again, it's another uh, great Ida Lupino performance, but it's not like the usual great Ida Lupino performance. And if she'd been nominated for an Oscar, I probably would have voted for her, too. If not her, then John Fontaine is Ivy. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. They would have canceled each other out. I only saw this film once, but it did leave me with... Um, liking her a lot. I love Ida. Yeah. I love her directing. I just love Ida. She's great. Yes. And in this movie, she convinces you 100%. So she's like, they say it's sort of High Sierra-ish, and it's not really because, but we don't know where Ida came from in High Sierra, but of course there's yeah. the dog, and she's sort of, well, she's not a conniver like Joan Leslie, but she has a stutter in the beginning because she's, yeah. it, and she ends up getting rid of it. But also her parents, and we have the lovely Faye Bainter, but they come out of yeah. it all of a sudden after seven years of not seeing each other and hating each other. She comes downstairs, yeah. she's dressed in nice dress. So they want her to marry someone else who is like the the foreman who is not a prisoner. Yeah. Um, Wayne Morris. Right. Yeah, it's Wayne Morris. Yeah, and he was a, a big star, but then he went to World War II, and he was literally a hero from World mm -hmm. War II. And he never went back. He never got that stardom again. But it's it's a, a really interesting movie. I'm not a humongous fan of Dane Clark. I have to say that. 
I like yeah, yeah. a lot of his work, but a lot of it, you know. Well, I agree. You know, the thing problem with Dan Clark is that he's not a romantic leading man, which is essentially what the part is, even though he's a convict. Right. Um, and the part isn't as good as her part. So it should be her with John Garfield as the guy. Yes. Uh, but it's not a good enough part to get John Garfield. And so you get someone. And I think Dane Clark was often the guy at Warner Brothers who got what wasn't good enough for John Garfield because he didn't have the sex appeal. Not at all. Um, and, and so I. He, yeah, he's kind chops. of. Yeah, even when you're watching it, you're you're wishing it, it was someone else. Um, <laughs> but I like that whole thing. The thing with the parents is so weird, and I Very. love this. It's a, it is extremely weird where you don't get all the details of it. You're fascinated by this situation. It's almost like it's some weird, dark fairy tale of some place in the woods with this isolated family, and then the stranger comes in and changes everything. And so on that on that level, I think it, it, it grabbed me. The first time I saw this, it was like, what is this? This is not the usual fare. So anyway. No, I enjoyed it too. I liked it yeah. a lot. But just yes. like I, I'm, you know, I'm complaining about Dane Clark, but he... he no, I agree. Uh, you should, we yeah. should complain about... Sorry, Dane, but we should you know, complain about you. Because I've yeah. seen him in other films and he's not. He's, he's better. Yeah. as like the best friend of the lead. You know, he's right. In that exactly. Role. Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to go with a different thing. We're going to a comedy and, you know, I saw it only one time before. And then recently I saw it again. And, and I, I don't know, I didn't really, you know, I got aggravated because Fred McMurray and Claudette Colbert get married and he's like, okay, I quit my wonderful job. She's from an upper middle class life. He's upper middle class on their honeymoon. I quit my job. I bought us a home. We're going to be farmers. And this actually, um, Green Acres came out of this movie. It was inspired by this movie of, you know, yeah. these sophisticates going and Ava really didn't want to go. And, and same with, with Claudette. And, um, but they go to this wretched little cabin and they have, of course, all these problems. And it brings, it introduces us for the first time to Ma and Pa Kettle, who had their own films. And I actually really liked Marjorie Maine in this. She was... Yeah you know, sympathetic, she was kind, and she was funny. Um, and I liked it a lot. And as it evolved, where did they get Richard Long as a child? <laughs> where did they get him? He was such a hon. Yeah. But, you, you know, and, and a <laughs> darling, you know, and he, he just doesn't look like either of them, doesn't look like his brothers and sisters. And uh. maybe it was the milkman or the egg guy. I don't know. <laughs> the egg guy, I don't know. Anyway, um, I enjoyed it. Then, of course, there's this vamp, this rich lady who has a hot oh, yeah. Fred. And, yeah. you know, all the characters and the weirdos that sort of are around and make up this little community. And after a while, you know, he doesn't come home at night. She thinks he's doing things. She says, I had enough. And she leaves. But it is an interesting character study. She goes back home to her parents, whatever, and her nice upper class life. And um, but they love each other, but it's you know come on. Imagine your husband saying to you on your honeymoon, "I quit my job, <laughs> and we're moving to this really pathetic place with no running water and holes and you know rain and all this stuff." And Claudette is just a trooper through it. But I actually liked it. I thought it was a yeah. fun movie, and it is. you know just something different. And I liked it. 
And the audiences of the time loved that it. it was a major box office smash. I mean, one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Wow. And as you said, it spawned the Mon Pa Kettle movies. There's like, I think it's 10 and wow. well into the 50s. Um, like they were knocking those out. Um, With Percy Obviously cheap, yeah, cheap, cheaply made and made, I'm sure they turned profits. Well, obviously they kept making them. As I said, I believe there's 10 of them. Um, and Marjorie Maine was nominated for an Oscar for this as supporting actress. She was losing to Celeste, Losing to Celeste Holm in uh, Gentleman's Agreement. And also nominated was Anne Revere in Gentleman's Agreement. Um, but you know, it's great. It was really great for Claudette Colbert because she, you know how Hollywood treated women when they turned forty or right. even thirty-five 30 in old five. Hollywood. Well, they put a, like and, gray skunk streak in their hair streak when they hit forty. You know, <laughs> they yeah, like, right, all right. It looks looks severe, right? Um, so she was, a, you know, probably forty during the making of Since You Went Away, which is a big hit. So now it's three years later. So now she's really into her 40s and to have a, a hit of this size for a woman that age it extended her stardom you know for another five years of uh, um, you leading know some more comedies yeah. yeah leading lady to keep going and that's what you need you needed occasionally a big hit to prove you could still uh, you know bring the bring the people to the seats and she and, and Fred so were good great. for her good for her because I yeah and she could do everything drama comedy I just absolutely I think she's an underrated actress because, oh she's wonderful you know she, and I love their first one together the Gilded Lily back in thirty five is that where he um, plays uh, this the guy underground. He becomes no, no. <laughs> that one is oh goodness, I could I oh give, shoot. I love, that's a oh my god, I'm funny. getting old. The title, uh, shoot, no time for love. Yes. Oh thank God. Yeah, he's the what digging the tunnel it? or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. digging a bridge. Um, but I think they made. I believe it's seven that they made together. But I, I, I do have a special fondness for the first one. Um, the Gilded Lily, where they meet and have popcorn on sitting outside in front of the library, I think it is. And then she becomes a, a, a publicity sensation, does her club act. I'm getting way off because 1935 is not 1947. Right. But good but for, they were they were a good team. They were. Um, and you know, they yeah. did a movie prior where it was, um, I, I think it was prior to that one, where uh, it was in Salem. And yes, made of Salem. Yes, yes. So they did dramas together too. That's um, after uh, Gilded Lily. That's nineteen thirty-seven, made of Salem. Right. It's like the Crucible. Yeah. You know what, that that kind of movie. So they didn't just do rom coms. Yeah. In their time together, but uh, but they, you know, he was definitely one of her essential leading men of her of her big years. Yeah, certainly. And they had a wonderful chemistry. And, no. you know, I really, like with Fred, you never knew. I, you know, who knew? You know, I didn't know all of the stuff about him and what a great actor he was, because he really was. And then his, you know, last drama, The Apartment, I mean, yeah. amazing. But, I, yeah, I like this movie because it was cute. And, again, you know, they didn't make Claudette seem like some crone or something with a gray streak or, you know, padding right, right. like these mothers, like, 
you know. And I'm sure kids kids would still enjoy this movie because there's a lot of slapstick on the farm of you know things going wrong. Yes, you know, and the, and that kind of stuff. It's cute. Which, uh, it's a yeah, nice yeah. movie. I liked it. And, you know, like I said, second watching without me being outraged about yes. him just taking it on himself to get the farm. Right. I couldn't get over right. that in the first place. So the first time <laughs> I'm watching it, I'm mad, rah, rah, bossy, yeah. and then yes. the second time I'm just enjoying it and watching it and not being like you creep you know so i just <laughs> kind of go into it and i really right. enjoyed it very much all right well I'll, I'll come up now with a famous one a big hit uh best picture nominee miracle on 34th street from obviously this this the year we're celebrating um it, I think it holds up, has held up all these years. Um, it's got, of course, the wonderful Oscar-winning performance by Edmund Gwen as Chris Kringle. It, it's kind of the whole movie. I guess the movie's success essentially rests on his casting Definitely. and his ability to make us believe he is Santa Claus, or if there is a Santa Claus, he would be Edmund Gwen. Um, he's absolutely wonderful in every single scene. And charming, not, not just not just warm and charming and adorable, but feisty, and you know he's, oh, he's just him. terrific. He and his wonderful rapport with Natalie Wood, who deserved a juvenile Oscar for this performance to play someone so jaded as a second grader <laughs> and who learns how to <laughs> have fun smoking, as a child. You know, she's really she's really terrific. Yeah, in this, and really it, I don't know why they didn't give her a special Oscar. Um, and of course, um, back to my uh, my book. There are no small parts. One of the entries is Thelma Ritter in this movie for her two minute screen debut as the tired out shopper who. Um, Santa sends to another store to get the toy that her son wants. And she starts out her usual, you know, sort of uh, uh, no nonsense, been there, done that, Thelma Ritter. And she sort of has a new belief in humanity when uh, he sends her to the store where he, she can get the toy she's looking for. And then has that scene with the store, the toy the department manager, just effusive with praise over their new policy of putting Christmas ahead of profits. And within two minutes, she has this wonderful transition. And you could see why audiences fell in love with her. And everything we love about Thelma Ritter is in these two minutes yeah. in this movie. Who couldn't how, she, love her? how she parlayed that into a two decade movie career and six Oscar nominations and remains one of the most beloved uh, character actresses of all time. Most definitely. Um, plus, uh, obviously, you've got uh, John Payne and, and Maureen O'Hara as the romantic leads. But, you know, it, 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 it's interesting even that far back when the, the issue of the commercialization of Christmas mm -hmm. was a, a topic for a film. And uh, anyway, I, I do think uh, it holds up and it's one of what the handful of Christmas classics that is probably never going away. Yeah, I love this movie. I remember there was time. Um, it was on in the afternoon and my father and my brothers were going for a Christmas tree and we had it up and it was snowing and we're, they're doing the man stuff, you know, putting on the lights and stuff like that. My sister yeah. and I were really young and we want to put on a thing. Miracle on 34th Street's on, and it's just this, you know, beautiful, wonderful, you know, we certainly were not the Waltons, let me tell you, but it was one of these, and well, we weren't, and, but it was a nice time, and then Miracle on 74 Dearborn Street, we get on the radio that it's snowing and it's icy, and we get on that Sunday, that school is already canceled, we don't find out in the morning, so it was like, 
my miracle on 34th Street, snow, mm. Christmas, no school, yay. And I'll never forget it for that. And I watch it every single year. I adore it. Yeah. Edwin, Edwin, I loved him in everything. I was shocked when yeah. I saw him in other movies, to be honest with you, because yeah. I yeah. so, you know, took him as Santa Claus. And yeah. along with um, Clarence, and it's a wonderful life. Yes. Right. When I saw him in other things, I'm like, wow. But it, I love this movie. You know, Maureen, I like her, but, you know, Maureen and John Payne could, could have sort of been interchangeable with any other kind of actor yeah. of their type. They were fine. Yeah. But it just, yeah. you know, it wasn't anything. No, it, re- it definitely rests on uh, Edmund Gwen and Natalie Wood. Right. Um, and you're right, they're. Uh, O'Hara and Payne are certainly adequate. Uh, they're certainly up to the task, and they certainly look good. Right. But many, many people could have played those parts as well, um, because the, he said the main event is Edmund Gwen. Certainly, he was wonderful, and he deserved that Academy Award, a hundred and fifty-nine percent. So good yes. choice, John. Fabulous choice. Okay, I'm going to go into another lovely movie. Well, fantasy love story, right? Mm. Fantasy love story of The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. I adore this film. Me too. uh, I think every bit of it is wonderful. Every actor is wonderful. I even like Rex Rex Harrison. He's great. I fell in love with him. I mean, you fall in love with him, that charming, you know, those poetic words and the whole thing about him. He's like a man, a man. And, you know, I did too. I I could see why Mrs. Muir and the daughter and (laughs) Martha fell in love with the ghost of Captain Craig. He was wonderful. Gene was wonderful. And they they just had such a nice chemistry, and it's just such a beautiful story. And yeah. you know, she meets Uncle Nettie, and the ghost kind of leaves her. Um, and Uncle Nettie is played, of course, by the fabulous uh, George <laughs> George Sanders, and he yeah. is. He's fabulous, as George Sanders is. He's perfect. It's not a huge role, but it's a very pivotal role. And all the actors, I loved Martha. I don't know that woman's name. The, 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 her, um, her Edna Best is yeah. the maid. Yeah, Edna Best. She's they had lovely. a great chemistry together, yeah. too, Mrs. Muir and her. Right, and she's with her through the years, and it, so they have. A, that's a real bond. And it's just a lovely film, and uh, I love the first scenes with her in-laws. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a riot. This is a beautiful love story. If you don't get like chills and and you know, goosebumps yeah. and have a tear in your eye at the end, you know, sure. What's wrong with it's you? It's got the great um, Bernard Herrmann score. Oh, beautiful. It's so romantic, beautiful, beautiful. And of course, you know, it's so especially for ni- nineteen forty seven. It's rather sexy that they're basically sharing a bedroom. Yes, he's a ghost and she's a human being, but they're sharing a bedroom. Right. And uh, it, that little <laughs> sort of erotic tension is is wonderful. And she's lovely in it, but, you know, he is he's really terrific. He, he is. He's really spectacular. I, I love his performance. His performance. Um, and you know what's I say? So, so another uh, resonance to this movie is, you know, it came out as we – no, in 1947, right after, you know, the war hasn't been over that long, and she's playing a widow, and even though it's a period piece at the beginning of the 20th century, you think of all the, how many women in the audience lost a husband or a boyfriend, and it's this, 
sense of can can I have a life beyond and can I be an independent person and make my own choices and just take a risk and um, and you know she has her ups and downs but but I wonder how many people were kind of inspired by this this character of Mrs. Muir and her saying no I'm going this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it I'm taking my child and I'm starting out I love and, that uh, in the beginning with the in-laws and yeah. and um the maid and her daughter in the beginning, Natalie's not in a lot. Uh, Natalie Wood plays Jean's daughter and they're like listening because they want to get out of there. They want to get out of Dodge with this mother-in-law and especially that horrible sister-in-law and they leave and it's just wonderful. And I bet some people did and I'm sure it inspired people and they were all probably looking for the ghost of Captain Greg because like I said, I fell in love with him. I totally... Like where are you? <laughs> you know what happened yeah. to you? And it it is he he was the best. But I tell you, he and Gene had lovely chemistry, and they I do. I bought it a hundred percent. I love in the beginning. You know, he said, "No one has to. You never have to worry about your figure, my dear." Because <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. <laughs> he's the ghost, exactly. and he saw her naked <laughs> taking off her yes. clothes, which is really cute. And and she writes a book that he wrote about right. life of a seaman. And she she becomes much more earthy through it and, and whatever. But, you know, if you haven't seen mm. it, see it. Oh. But if you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. Fabulous, fabulous oh, yeah. film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, another, the other, we did Miracle and, and uh, uh, what do you call it? We just did Mrs. Muir. And uh, the other sort of big one of the fantasies of 47 is The Bishop's Wife, which was also up for Best Picture. And uh, again, uh, included in my book, There Are No Small Parts, for Gladys Cooper for her 10-minute role as essentially the Scrooge character. And she, of course, has a wonderful transformation. We always love to hate Gladys and be terrified by her and then love to see those occasions when she's a warm and loving human being. Right. And she gets to, she gets to get there in this one. But of course, when you mentioned Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life as the angel someone gets, in The Bishop's Wife, you get Cary Grant as your angel when uh, David Niven is the bishop praying for help and he he gets Cary Grant. And it's kind of, again, a kind of a sexy love triangle with uh, The Bishop's Wife, Loretta Young. (laughs) And again, an angel and a a married couple. And how is that going to go? And Again, it's a, uh, it's kind of irresistible, and uh, it, it's it's around every holiday season, and rightly so. And it has one of my favorite movie scores by Hugo Friedhofer that I just uh, go, I play constantly at the at Christmas time. And another great supporting cast, not just Gladys Cooper, but Elsa Lanchester as one of the servants. Monty and she's Woolley. marvelous. Monty Woolley, of course. Oh, I love him in this too. Me too. So. He just is so adorable and I just I love yeah. him. The funny part of this movie was though, the parts were supposed to be reversed. David yes. Niven was supposed to be the angel and Carrie the pastor. I guess Carrie probably overruled that, right? Because he would have yeah, I, I mean you know, 
it's one of those instances where what ended up happening seems so right that oh, you yeah, can't definitely. quite wrap your head around the no. reverse. No, I couldn't. I mean, the certainly reverse. they each could have played those parts, but uh, we like it the way it is. No, <laughs> Thank because, you. Because you could see how Loretta Young, you know, like, would she have fallen? Well, yeah, she could have fallen for David Niven as a ghost, but you can really see her falling for yes. Dudley, who is Mr. Perfection, you know, and the maids yeah. and the secretary. They start yeah. wearing flowers in their hair and dressing yeah. and everything because Dudley's yeah. in the house. Everybody's charmed by him, the little daughter. Everybody yeah. but David. <laughs> so it's a it's a sweet film. And again, it has that weird kind of, you know, the guy's dead. He's an angel, but kind of a, you know, she's kind of liking him. And yes. he definitely is liking her. And of course, it, it's, it's also part of the angel's way to get the bishop to appreciate his wife by setting up a... A triangle, right? But of course, we also get the tugs in Cary Grant's performance of the pull of humanity and how tempting it is to be alive, and uh, so that makes the audience feel good too. That the angel doesn't want to go really because uh, this was um, more fun than it was supposed to be. Right? <laughs> he was just sent on a really. mission, <laughs> but you know, and so that's always makes the audience feel good too. So anyway, <laughs> but it's a good movie. You know what I love though? Why is she? That hat. Everybody thinks that hat. Oh, oh, it's a crazy hat. That's a spring hat. That's not a winter hat. Get that hat off your head. <laughs> Put it on a goat or something. I, I never, I never thought of, I remember I didn't think the hat was so great, but I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, it's like everybody's telling her, "Oh, it's so wild." It's this, but it's like got daffodils or lilacs on it. It's why it's no Christmas hat. And, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just of course, a small she looks part. good in any hat anyway. So yeah, but I was like, come on, it's Christmas, <laughs> it's snowing, and, and you know, the goat will eat that hat. Get it out of here. Um, but anyway, that <laughs> I notice a lot of things that are kind of weird, but I get to the, the whole core of the movie, and, but I do notice those little parts too. And great choice, John. That was a wonderful choice. And I am going to do repeat performance, which isn't the greatest Uh, movie in the world, but it is such, it's also a fantasy. Um, And and noir, Eddie Muller played it. If you guys can catch the replay of Eddie playing this for the first time on TCM, on Noir Alley, you get so much information about the backstory in the beginning and at the end. It's like a 20-minute backstory. But this film is really interesting. It's about can you turn back the clock? Can you change things or are things fated to be the same way that they were, even if you get the year back that you don't want back? Mm-hmm. Right. Can you escape fate? And um, it stars uh, Joan Leslie who was, you know, the good girl all the time. And now she's, I think she was 22 when she did this film. So, uh, Louis Calhoun? What's, what's his last name? Louis Hayward. Louis Hayward. Louis Hayward is Hayward. the husband. He, he was, to me, a creep throughout. Yeah. <laughs> Total creep. But, yeah. um, and who, and of course, uh, Natalie Schaefer as the woman who has protégés, which means, you know what I mean, you guys, a protégé. Um, yeah. And she sets her sights on William Williams, the poet, played by Richard Basehart, who I absolutely adored in this film. And this was his yeah. first film. This was his first yeah. film. He was coming from Broadway. And he was just so sensitive and fun and, and just anything. And it was so nice how they had the premiere in his hometown for him. Oh. It's really lovely. 
also who someone I was talking about the other day, George Sanders' brother. Uh, oh, Tom, Tom Conway. Tom yeah. Conway is the producer. I thought he was really good in this. You know, I really mm. did. People don't, you know, they think he's stiff. He's, you know, they're apples oranges, you know, with George and his brother. They have the same voice, but they're different, <laughs> obviously. And, um, but I enjoyed the whole film. And yeah. then that horrible woman, what's her name? Oh, I love her. And they said she, she was such a, a bitch. She was, um, Virginia Field yes. is the, she writes, she's the playwright. Yeah, yeah she she's was good. Great. I think we people know her best as Vivian Lee's best friend in Waterloo Bridge. If I they know her believe. at all, right. yeah, if they know her at all, that's the one they know. She, yeah, yeah, she was the the best friend, and um, I couldn't believe it was the same person when I'm watching this film. And she was so yeah. good. She was such yeah. a, a horrible woman, and um, you you see how. She does get that chance. She wishes to get that year back, and she does yeah. get that chance, and she tries to do things differently. But unfortunately, fate has other plans. You know, you you can't really change mm-hmm. a lot of things. It, it's pretty much written in the stars. So it's mm-hmm. fascinating. And uh, what's her name? Vernita Hume, that lady who played sort of the Eve Arden role. Who is it? Oh, what's her <laughs> name? Benita. Benita Hume. Benita Hume? Oh, I yeah. don't remember her in that. But. Well, she was the one who was supposed to be like the wise Kraken. Oh, I oh. love those furs. Eve Arnie oh. type, but no, she yeah. didn't do that for me. But it was um, interesting. And how many of us want to like turn back the clock to a year yeah. or a month or even just yesterday? And yeah. this woman gets it. And then you just see what happens. And it's quite yeah. interesting. And I really like the movie a lot. Yeah, it's a good hook. It's a good hook. But I would say in the Dane Clark category, Joan Leslie's one of those people. I always wish it was someone else. Me too. Yeah. Any, you know, I mean, yes. she's not terrible. I just wish it was someone else. She's um, not a great actress. She was really, yeah, yeah. you know what she was really good in, and I liked her in a lot, was, um, I think it was her last movie with the uh, Born to be bad. Yes. Born to be bad. Yeah. Joan Fontaine. She's, she's, I, I would. I would agree with you. I think that's the only time where I don't know. I feel like she's an actress. Right. Or she's, she owns like, a she's role. Thinking. She's, yeah, mature, she's thinking. She's mature. She's lovely. Um, she's all these things. Yeah. And this, I mean, some of her acting, like you know, her eyes roll back and forth, go back and forth, and it's like uh-huh. sort of like I agree with you. And she's you got know? some good scenes in the hard way too, um, but generally, I don't really. Go for her. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> she go. had an amazing career. I mean, co-starring with Bogart and Gary Cooper and Fred Astaire. I right. mean, Jamie Cagney. It's like, how, you know, she was the right girl standing in the right place at the right time. It just didn't quit through World War Two, and then there really wasn't that much after it. But still, and like I said, I don't hate her at all. I don't just, hate her. Like, either. I just I think- don't think I don't find her special enough. No, but to have had the the opportunities that she got, but she fulfilled for most of her career the girl next door thing, especially. Epitome of what would you would call America's sweetheart or, or the girl next door? Absolutely, and she was so young. God, playing I think with she was all those fourteen or with Gary and, Cooper and was 40. most of those guys were forty. Oh, no. You know, I know so, it's unbelievable. Well, anyway, she was so young when she did it, and she did look older. But um, yeah. you know, no. And it was supposed to be this whole different thing. The book was so different. William Williams was yeah. supposed to be a transvestite. And, 
And it, the wife was supposed to be a shrew, and the actor was the one who was really pounded on. And um, he was an actor, and, and she's a shrew, and it was supposed to be played by Sylvia Sidney, who would have been a wonderful shrew in 1947. Yeah. She played, you True. know, those sweetsy-peetsy parts in the 30s, but, you know. Yeah. With those cigarettes yeah. and everything else. But um, it just yeah. changed into a different thing. But I really enjoy it, regardless of Joan Leslie. I mean, she's she does okay. She is not yeah. someone that you really, you know, it's not my favorite actress in the world. But, you know, she does okay. And I just like the whole story. And I like about can you outrun fate? Can you change these things? So I really enjoy sure. that. I really enjoy sure. the movie. Sure. So... I think we did it. Did we do it? Did we do it? We're at an hour, an hour <laughs> and two minutes. We did it. This is our opening, the opening, and we went over an hour and two minutes and oh 40 boy. seconds. But it was fun, oh and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. Uh, we probably could keep talking about 1947 for two more hours. I could but, too, I, you know. but we can't. We want but, you guys to. But, but we can't. But right. we can't. Yeah, uh, we want you guys to not turn it was us a, off. It was a good range of uh, types of things they made that year. I so, think so. I think go. we really got a lot of stuff out there. And as I said to all of you wonderful people, thank you for hanging in. And John DeLeo, give me some of your stuff when you want, and I can um, put down your appearances like a Nyack oh. or whatever, and I, I okay. will link that up for everybody. And cool. Yeah, Thank you. Of course. And check out, I'm going to link you to his author's page. And I, again, say his books are wonderful. You know John. He knows his stuff. He is so knowledgeable. And I, sometimes I feel like I'm a foob next to him. You oh, know? stop it. A phoebe. You know, but you are so, you, you know, you're much more effusive than I'm about. You know, you know more, the scores and things like that. <laughs> You know, name that score. I couldn't name that score. <laughs> Some oh. of them I could, like Alfred Hitchcock and certain people I can. Anyway, oh. <laughs> John knows it. So I will link everything up for you guys. And I want to thank you for listening. And I am so glad to be back. And John, come back again for your 12th, for the 19th time, your number 12th visit. Right, right. You know I will. You okay. know I will. We've, I have a couple really good ones for us. Okay, everybody. Okay. Good. So thanks, everybody. Till next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.